Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Mark, chapter 1. Mark's my favorite book in the Bible. <laughs> Mark, chapter 1. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to um, Minneapolis, Minnesota. If you're not sure where that is, that's in far north Texas. And I was up there for a preaching conference. I'll let you decide whether it did any good for me or not, but I went to this preaching conference in Minneapolis, and it was held in the downtown area. There's a couple of very historic old churches downtown Minneapolis, and so they were hosting together this preaching conference. So I stayed in one of the downtown hotels. I don't know if you've ever been to Minneapolis or not, but Uh, One of the things that I noticed when I got there, that there was this series of bridges that were interconnected. They they ran about maybe two to three stories above ground level, street level, and they connected hotels and businesses in a multitude of, of skyscrapers there. And so this elevated, bridged, enclosed walkway, they call a skywalk, uh, made its way all through downtown. And I got there in late May, and I was thinking, I don't really understand why they think they would need those. And so I found my, my, my time, instead of trying to figure out that maze of skywalk, I just walked down on the street level, kind of like downtown environments of large cities. And so I enjoyed that for a couple of days. And then one day I woke up, and it was raining, and it was windy, And it was one of those far north Texas kind of winds and cold, cold rain. And so I was walking the half mile or so that it took me to get to one of those churches where the morning session for that preaching conference uh, happened. And I I had not taken an umbrella and I had not taken a coat. And so by the time I walked that half a mile through the downtown area, I was soaked and I was freezing, and I had just a hint of an attitude. And some brother in Christ apparently had seen me braving the elements walking through the town as he walked in that skywalk from the same hotel to the same place, and as we got to the foyer of the the narthex, excuse me, of that church, This Christian brother said to me, you should have taken the skywalk. It was really pleasant up there. (laughs) Knowing how to build bridges is important. Knowing where to to build bridges is important. Knowing how to use bridges is critical. Welcome back to another step now as I tend, excuse me, attempt to lay a theological foundation for a vision statement that we introduced last week. The vision statement is that we as a church will be about the business of connecting people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. The image that I've laid out for you is that of a bridge that we consistently build bridges into various pieces of our community and into the lives of people around us. It's important to know how to build bridges. It's important to know where to put them. And it's really critical that we know when to use them. 
And so with that in mind, I want you to look with me at Mark chapter 1 because today I would like to tackle John the Baptist. Um, You know, I was looking at Jeremy while he was down here and that rugged youth minister look that he has. And I thought to myself, I wonder if he looks a little bit like John the Baptist might have looked. I don't know about that, but I do know that as we come to this passage, we find what I believe are three instructive observations for us. As bridge builders ourselves, we find some things that John the Baptist teaches us that are well worth noting. Here's the first one. He's a role player. Let me go ahead and read the passage, and then we'll come back to that. The beginning, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem, were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Three observations from that passage that help us to be better bridge builders in our community and the lives of people into whose life and reality God has strategically placed us. John the Baptist was a role player. Each team, if it's a team at all, has a variety of people on that team, team members, if you will. And each team member has a role to play. Now, I know, let me just, let's step away from the text for just a moment. I want to make sure that you know I'm stepping away from the text. But we have one of the great privileges that I have as pastor of this church is to get to know and to get to to have my life enriched by and have in turn the opportunity to step into the lives of many men and women who are part of the uh, U.S. Army here in town or the armed services in general. It's a great privilege for me, and you should know that. Those of you who are in the Army or have been in the Army, let me just state the obvious. I know that when you look at me, one of the first things you think of, that guy's a drill sergeant. I can't get away from that. It's, it's been part of my life since I was in high school. I know that you look at me and go, he's got all of the qualities and all the characteristics. He's, he, just, he must be a drill sergeant. Apparently, that's what the lead drama teacher at Odessa High School in 1979 must have thought. Because he came to me in the hall one day and he said, hey, I uh, want you to be part of our UIL one-act play team. And I said, no, sir. I'm not sure I said, sir. I think I just said no. And that began this back and forth as he reached into my life. And then he started putting pressure on me through one of my teachers, one of my favorite teachers to be exact. And he just kept pushing me. I need you in this play. And and my argument, among other things, was I have never in my life done anything like that. Um, And besides, that, this wasn't just a play they were going to do. It's the UIL competition one-act play. And so he finally wore me down 
And maybe part of what swung the deal for me is one day he said, you're going to love the role that I have for you. It's a drill sergeant. And I thought to myself, he sees it. He, it's typecasting if there ever was that. So I, I would love to tell you more about that part of it, but here's what I want you to know. Over the next, I don't know, four or five months, Not only was I one of the rookies who was pulled into that, never having done any kind of drama stuff at all, uh, he pulled four or five other guys to round out the cast of this UIL one-act play, The Basic Training of Pablo Hummel. It was a play that had been on Broadway. Al Pacino was in the starring role, and even in the 70s, it had significant push. But... um, our teacher, our coach, coached us into a, from a bunch of rookies to being really good at that. As a matter of fact, we worked our way all the way through the various levels of competition, finally finishing third in state. And in the process of our move through all of that, I recognized that my role was what we would call a bit part. It wasn't really the, the part that would win all of the awards. As a matter of fact, as we worked our way through the district meet and then pre-area and then area and region and finally to the state meet, the two guys who were the two really lead characters just swept the awards from one competition to the next. Best actor, best supporting actor, honorable mention, all-star cast. Those guys and their roles were incredible. You see, one of the things that our drama coach taught us was that as an ensemble, as a team, we could be great. But each of us had a role to play. And we had to stay in our lane and stay in our channel. And we had to make sure that we didn't have role drift where we went over and tried to pick up what somebody else was supposed to do. He taught us that each of us had a role to play and then how to play that well. That brings me to this passage. Because here's a guy who, if ever there was a guy who qualified to be the star of the show, it's John the Baptist. What a great picture we have of him. I'm going to talk in just a few moments about the way he presented himself. But look at the way he presents himself. He lives out in the wilderness. He wears weird clothes. Sounds like a pastor. And in this first couple of verses, that's verses 2 and 3 specifically, it seems that John the Baptist is the one who is in the spotlight. Actually, in verses 2 and 3, before we even meet John the Baptist in Mark's presentation here, we have this yet-to-be-named messenger, this guy who seems to be in the spotlight. He was predicted long before Mark sat down to write this gospel. As a matter of fact, here's... um, Okay, I don't know if you know the term mashup or not. Some of our younger people will. But what we have here is a Jewish prophetic mashup. In verses 2 and 3, what Mark does is he pulls various prophetic statements from the Old Testament, and he pulls them together, and he follows the Jewish writing tradition, the Jewish uh, biblical tradition, in giving the... the um, the statement of who said this, even though it's several put together, the responsibility goes to the one who is the biggest voice, which is Isaiah. 
But in Exodus 23, verse 20, we find, Behold, I send my messenger before you. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Who will prepare your way? And then Isaiah 40, verse 3, The voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Mark pulls these ancient traditions, these prophetic statements about who would come before the Messiah. Mark pulls them all together. He ascribes them to Isaiah. And who is this guy that Mark points to. Who is the guy that Malachi and Moses and Isaiah somehow saw because God gave them the ability to look forward and say, there's going to come somebody before the Messiah comes who will be the messenger who will prepare the way. And so while it seems like John the Baptist is firmly inside the spotlight, what we really have is prophecy takes the spotlight first. Who is this John the Baptist. I would suggest to you that John the Baptist is a bridge builder and a role player extraordinaire. Here's what Jesus has to say about John the Baptist. He's the Elijah who would come. He's the last in this long line of Old Testament prophets. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 11 through 15, here's what Jesus says, truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What Jesus says with this is that he highlights and he says, this John is the one. He is the one that Isaiah spoke of, that Malachi spoke of. He is the one who is the bridge between generations. The old, as we would say it, the Old Testament meets the New Testament in this guy named John. He is a bridge builder, extraordinaire. He had a role to play. His role was important. As a matter of fact, Jesus says he's the greatest of all born to women. His role was so important that if he had not been there, God would have had to raise up somebody else because John was the one who would introduce for the first time Jesus as the Messiah. Well, and I know that we can go to the Christmas story and find support there, but here at the, at the dawn of Jesus' public ministry, John the Baptist had a role to play. And as important as his role was, it was not the most important. That spotlight seems to be on him, but it's really not on him. John the Baptist is a bridge builder between generations. Neither you nor I are fully like John the Baptist. There are pieces of him that we could never be. But there are some common things that we should underscore, I think, as we roll into this emphasis we have. John the Baptist had a role in the kingdom of God. His role was to announce the arrival of Jesus Christ. His role was to build bridges to people, to connect people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. John models that for us. Let me take you back for just a moment on this idea of role-playing, back to that one-act play series of competitions that we had. In the first one that we did, the, the district meet, our guys, our lead guys, just totally blew everybody away. 
We didn't sweep all of the awards, but most of them. And you know, if I had been of a mind to say, you know what, I need to get some of that notoriety. I want one of those shiny gold medals. I could have sabotaged the entire thing in the next competition by trying to be more than what my role allowed for. Same on a team, a sports team, for instance. This afternoon, the Dallas Cowboys travel to the Pacific Northwest, and they'll come home with their tail tucked firmly between their legs, I suppose. (laughs) Maybe not. Hope springs eternal. But I do know this. If one of those offensive linemen decide they want to be Zeke Elliott, the Cowboys are sunk. Because every team has players. Every player has a role. I played soccer through the years. I don't anymore. (laughs) Afraid I'll throw out a hip or something, but... When I played soccer, one of the things I learned was you don't ever want the goalie to be the highest scorer on your team because the goalie has a role. What is your role on this team known as the family of God? What is the role that you have to play? What about corporately? What is our role? As a piece of the kingdom of God, as one small seed church, in the bigger capital C church of Jesus Christ. What is our role? If we're to be effective bridge builders, we must know our role. And we must play that role and hold to that role. I saw one of those, uh, it wasn't a bad lip reading, but it was a lip reading opportunity last week from a game a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, that the New England Patriots played. There is a guy named Tom Brady who's a decent quarterback, and he is a competitor like none other that I've seen. And their game was not going all that well, and so uh, he was visibly upset. And so the camera zeroed in on him on the sideline, and he looked at the circle where God has strategically placed you that has people in it who desperately need life, and you are the bridge to them. What happens if you choose to ignore your role? What happens to those people? John the Baptist teaches us to be role players, to embrace the role that we've been given as bridge builders. There's another part of him. John the Baptist was a messenger. This is something about him that grabs my attention. He played his role perfectly. And you notice that I said earlier, matter of fact, a couple of different times in this message already, I've referred to the fact that it seems like in verses 2 and 3 that John the Baptist is firmly in the spotlight. But the fact of the matter is that the spotlight is on the Messiah, not the messenger. Notice again verse 2, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. This is not the face of John the Baptist, that messenger. This is, he's talking about the Messiah who will come. He will prepare your way. That's verse 2. John the Baptist had a message. He was a messenger, and there's something about that that needs to settle in to who we are. This is the introduction to Mark's gospel. As I told you, Mark is my favorite book in the New Testament, at least, maybe in all of the Bible. Not not just because of the name deal. That really has nothing to do with it. It is all about the picture that Mark lays out for us of this Jesus. 
And in these three verses, Mark is introducing what he's going to have to say. Verse 1, the beginning of the... Now listen to what he says. The beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is a lofty claim. If this was a novel and you picked it up and the first sentence that you read was, here's somebody who we're calling the Son of God, well, that might just draw me into the story just a tad. And Mark begins by introducing what he's going to be talking about. And so over the course of the rest of this book, Mark will reveal Jesus as he is teaching and as he is healing and as he is praying and as he is dying and as he is resurrection, re- resurrecting and ultimately as he is ascending. From start to finish, Mark will lay out for us a picture of Jesus Christ that affirms and underscores that he is, in fact, the Son of God, the Messiah. You see, without that part of John's message, John wouldn't have anything to say because John's not really the focus, even with what Mark is doing here. John John the Baptist is not the focus of this. It's the Messiah. It's Jesus the Christ who is the focus. If you pull Jesus out of John's preaching, just like if you pull him out of my preaching, it's just empty preaching then. Verse 4 Notice what it says. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I I think that we should stop for a moment, pause here, and, and realize that sometimes I think we get John's message a little bit backward. You see, one of the things that I think is our temptation in looking at John the Baptist is to emphasize and jump quickly to the baptism part, and if we go to Matthew 3 or Luke 3 especially, then we kind of gravitate towards the ethical, the moral changes that John suggested. He didn't suggest them. He just crammed them down people's throats. But John was not preaching strictly about moral change. It was part of his message to be sure John wasn't even particularly preaching to get people to be baptized. The message that John the Baptist carried was one that was one of preparation. That's what Isaiah had to say here. And so as he comes, John comes. Let me put it in our vernacular of the day. John's message to those people was, you better get ready. Ready for what? He's a messenger. He's the one who makes straight paths for the coming Messiah. I'll put it this way. John says, the king's on his way. And so you need to get ready for that. When I was working in the oil field, I was just out of high school. A couple of years I worked there in the oil field. And at first I worked in the back part of the shop, the service and repair. I became a mechanic and fabricator and then a mechanic on pumps and compressors. Uh, and, and often would go out into the field to do repair jobs out in the field. And after a few uh, cold winters of doing that, I decided maybe they needed me up front in the parts department. And so I transferred into the front, and, and I was up there, and our, our company there was actually headquartered out of Shreveport, Louisiana. And so every once in a while, we would get a message. The store manager would come in, or the branch manager would come in and say, hey, uh, Walt's coming. Walt was the guy in charge of all of the branches. 
And he's going to be coming out to Odessa from Shreveport. And so every time, I didn't understand this at first, every time somebody would say, Walt's coming, we had to sweep and we had to organize and we had to dust and we had to make sure that everything was spick and span because the king was coming from Shreveport. That's John's message. The king is coming, so you better get ready. And so to get ready for the king, the Messiah who would come, John's message was here's how you get ready. You repent of living a life that's outside of what the king would endorse. And the evidence of that repentance was the baptism. And a further evidence of the repentance and the preparation for the king was to clean up their ethical, moral act, if you will. So let's don't get John's message backward. John had an ethical, moral content to what he had to say. Look at verse, uh, Luke 3, you'll see that. John also had this message of repentance and baptism, but all of that was tied to the message that said the king is coming, you better be ready when he gets here. Let me suggest to you that we really need to get that right. As we intentionally step out into areas of greater El Paso and the borderlands, if we step out to build bridges to connect people with the love and life of Jesus, some of the people that we're going to connect with are going to need some ethical overhauls in their lives. But, you know, we need to be careful about that. If we're not careful, we become those people who seek to be the conscience of a community as opposed to the messengers that the king is here. We connect them with the love and the life of Jesus Christ, and as we connect with some people, I'll promise you, your sensibilities are going to be offended because everybody doesn't think like we do. Just this morning, I was looking at Twitter a little bit. I don't do that all the time, but I did this morning, and uh, I, I got a evidence of a tweet from Christianity Today. Now, I don't read much of what they do, but uh, so I'm sure I don't agree with everything they say, but they referenced a, an article in a blog by Ed Stetzer. If you don't know who Ed Stetzer is, he's a Baptist thinker and researcher. And so I went and followed the link to Ed's recent blog, and he talked about this very thing, that we as a Christian church in the 21st century that some call post-Christian and most call at least antagonistic towards Christianity. It talks about how we need to get out and make those connections with people. If we're not careful, you see, what happens is we center on the ethical things, the moral things, and it's like we go to people and say, now we need you to get cleaned up and Jesus will clean you up, but you're going to need a shower before you can get the bath. What they need is for us to connect with them at the level of love that says there's a better life and a better way. John the Baptist models that message integrity. He stays true. His laser focus is on Jesus Christ. Finally, I want us to consider the methodology that John teaches us here. I'll make this very quick, but... I hope you'll listen quickly. We'll explain a little more of this as we go forward, I'm sure. If we get the message right and we understand our role correctly and we embrace all of that, then the question has to be, okay, so how do I do this? 
That's a question that as a church we should be asking as we step into this connecting people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. How do we go about that? Let me just say to you that one of the immediate steps that we're taking is our committee on committees is putting together or will be putting together a task force that will be made up of church people so that your voice can be heard and so that we can study this well together. How do we do this? Where do we go? How do we know where we build these bridges to? Look at carefully. Let me, let me, I'm going to challenge a little bit of how you see John the Baptist, I hope, in the next couple of minutes. Let's look at this verses uh, four and following with fresh eyes. Let's ask a few questions of this. For instance, we see in verse four, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness. Let me stop right there. Why do you think he was in the wilderness? Have you thought about that? We just usually take that at face value, but there's got to be a reason for that. Uh, why is he out there? Here's another one. This is first part of verse 6. Uh, what did he wear? Not where was he, but what did he wear and why? Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. That sounds like Jeremy, the youth minister. <laughs> I've never seen him wear camel hair. Why did he wear that? How about this one? Well, and, and why the belt, by the way? Why, why did Mark emphasize the leather belt? And what in the world is he eating? Verse 6, and he ate locusts and wild honey. I'm going to suggest that you do a little bit of homework on that, but let me see if I can cut to the chase because of time. The image that John adopted was strategic. You see, the image that John adopted, especially the leather belt, that's for your nudging into homework, but everything that John is described as doing here tied him in to the minds of those first century listeners to the Old Testament prophets. He lived out the message that Jesus gives us and Mark gives us about him. He is a prophet extraordinaire from the Old Testament, but he's more than that. But in order to connect with those people, he took on this look, if you will. He connected with them at a point that was meaningful to them. There is incredible truth for us in that. If we're to be strategic in building bridges into this community, we're going to have to meet people where they are. And that's going to be a little offensive every once in a while. Because where they are is not necessarily where you are in life. Their attitudes will be different. Their thoughts will be different. But John teaches us that there is a methodology that does not sacrifice the message. And it is person-centered. Here's a good statement for you. Jesus always meets you where you are. But he is never content to let you stay there. He is consistently moving us to be more like him. If he's willing to meet me there, I must be willing to meet people at the same place. Connecting people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. Building bridges. I'll remind you again, you are the bridge. Now, as church, we will be 
bridge, and we will build bridges to people, but ultimately God has placed you, strategically placed you in a circle of people who desperately need life. So make sure your message is right. Make sure you embrace the role that you've been given and meet people where they are. Let me go back to that Minneapolis trudge that I had through the cold rain and wind. I just did what I thought I had to do, and it was a low level of living, I don't mind telling you. It was cold, it was wet. The last thing on my mind was worship when I walked into a preaching service after that. But you know the guy that so helpfully pointed out I could have gone a better way? He had settled on something that was better, that made life easier. We need to reach people with that same message. There is a better way to live. There is a life that is not nearly so much work. Let me ask you to bow your heads, if you will. This invitation time, as always, our invitation time is for anyone who feels like they want to join our church. We're happy to do that. You can walk the aisle and we'll tell you about how to do that. Also, our invitations are always about extending the life invitation to people who don't know Jesus Christ personally. So if that's you today, then this invitation is for you, and I'd love to share with you. Just come down. We'll talk with you. won't embarrass you or anything like that. But for today's invitation, I also would like to lean into this. Are you playing the role that God has given you as a bridge builder? Do you need to have a little bit of one-on-one time with God here where you commit yourself in a fresh way to be what he called you to be? to build bridges into those circles of your life. Maybe this is a good day for you to do that, and maybe it would be helpful to come just come down any place down front here. We won't bother you if you just want to come and make kind of a commitment between you and the Lord in a tangible way that says, I'm going to embrace my role and meet people where they are with the message of Jesus Christ. This invitation time is for you. Father, change lives now is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.